So I, I was sitting there being like, did Funk Flex just admit to me that he has anxiety yeah. on it? Like, this is the illest shit that wow. ever happened in life. <laughs> I'm a legend. <laughs> Peace, everyone. Welcome to Masters of Ceremony. I'm so excited to finally be sharing some of these great interviews I've done in the recent weeks. These first few episodes have taught me so much about this entire podcasting process, and it's been incredibly humbling to say the least. I'm so grateful for all the support I received thus far. And as I've said in the introduction episode, let's continue to work as a team in growing this new podcast into something great. Today, we have a very special guest on the show, House Kitchen Zone, Marlon Kraft. Kraft is one of the dopest MCs to come out of New York in recent years. He's received love and praise from legends in the game such as Black Thought, the late great prodigy of Mob Deep, T.I., Killer Mike, and so many more. To me, one of the most impressive things about Marlon has been his ability to earn such an amazing fan base over the years by continually proving his skills not only as an artist, but also by being honest with his listeners about his vulnerabilities and struggles, which is something I personally love most about his music. In today's episode, we touch on Marlon's humble beginnings as a young artist from New York, how hip-hop served as a form of therapy for him during college, how he freestyled his way into the industry, eventually going viral multiple times, to his infamous Hot 97 Funk Flex freestyle, and most importantly, Marlon's efforts in creating positive social change through his community outreach institution, Ours. I feel really honored to have him as one of the first guests on Masters of Ceremony. He's a great friend, and I hope you guys enjoy our conversation. Tune in after today's episode to learn more about how you can support this new podcast and also even win a chance to receive a free limited edition copy of my debut album as a record producer, The Fifth Tape. Marlon has a track on there and it's easily one of my favorites. Enjoy the show, everybody. All right, Marlon Kraft, open to Masters of Ceremony, man. Thanks for having me, bro. Respect, man. Thank you for coming on. Much appreciated. How's everything been? Everything's cool, man. I can't complain. I just got home from uh, this South for the Winter tour just mm-hmm. a few days ago, so and I'm just getting my my bearings again. But we're just getting right to it, man. Oh man! Yeah. Hell yeah! Well, you know the podcast is called Masters of Ceremony for numerous reasons, but uh, I'm definitely just doing my best to bring up MCs who I truly, truly support and genuinely you, fuck with, man. So yeah. knew I had to get you up on here. Word. Um. I just want to ask you, man, I want to begin with just bringing you back to your upbringing in Hell's Kitchen, New York, because I feel like there's so many artists and rappers from BK and from Harlem and from Queens, but maybe you could put me on game. I haven't heard of too many MCs coming out of Hell's Kitchen. Yeah, you know? nah, I mean, there's always been cats that were like doing it locally um, that, you know, people even like actually when I first started, like. Uh, my big homie Frosty had done like this EP with Harry Fraud mm-hmm. way back in the day, <laughs> and he and he had like French Montana on it before he blew up, and like Sean P and like wow. a bunch of people. Um, and but like there wasn't really anybody that made like serious noise from the neighborhood for 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 rap. Um, and yeah, I always uh, but it it was a real like New York neighborhood neighborhood. Yeah, like I always just wanted respect when I was a ball player growing up. That was always like I just wanted people in my neighborhood to respect me for being nice at ball and the older kids that I looked up to to like respect me and um 
So, and we always kind of were loud and proud because even though Hell's Kitchen is like super different now, it's like completely gentrified yeah, and just kind of like, kind of like a rap, like most of, like a lot of New York. Um, but we're still all there holding it down. But, you know, when I grew up, like, even though it was more of like the rough and tumble Hell's Kitchen of the past, it was still like the forgotten about neighborhood. Like yeah. every song was, it was always like, you know. Bronx, Brooklyn, yeah, Queens, uptown, Harlem. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so we always kind of wore it on our on our chest wherever we yeah. went, like school, whatever. Like I like we repped it really hard. So um yeah, I'm just that's why I'm always rep it, you know what I mean? Because yeah. that's where I'm from, made me who mm-hmm. I am and shit. How was it just like living in the midst of Manhattan, going to school, taking trains, like growing up in your household and just what were the influences that were surrounding you? Like early, early before you even got into emceeing, playing ball, whatever. Well, so I grew up in Manhattan Plaza, and basically, is like in the seventies they built Manhattan Plaza to be like luxury homes. Um, but they had, they had uh, the neighborhood was so bad and like super, you know, just dangerous and whatever that no one that had money would move in. So the government took over the buildings, subsidized it. And made it government subsidized housing for uh, primarily for people in the arts and then for low income neighborhood people and stuff like that. So it's government housing. So, um, you know, I grew up with all these different types of people. You know, first of all, mad artists were from Manhattan Plaza and from my building. But then also just, you know, like just people from all walks, walks of life because people were in there paying all different types of rent. And it was all it was like Section 8. So I had friends that ended up being coming like super famous actors. Our friends that went to Ivy League schools. Our friends that were gangbanging in the streets or getting locked up or whatever. And we were all like on the same block, under the same roof, going through the same things. And there was older generations and whatever. So I just got exposed to all these perspectives um, in Hell's Kitchen. Uh, and that kind of shaped a lot of, of who I am. And then, of course, being around so many creative people, artists. My dad was a musician yeah. and shit. So... Um, your mom worked in theater yeah yeah yeah. wow so i mean it's clear to see how obviously your parents influence had on you yeah um just being open and creative creativity was obviously an aspect of the household early at what age though because you know your dad's a jazz musician your mom works in theater you're surrounded by all these different people in your building at what point were you like totally becoming infatuated with hip-hop because i know there was a a clear point at in my life where there was a turning moment in which I said, wow, this is something I want to look into a lot deeper into my life. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny because, like, you know, the way I guess I explain it makes it sound like I grew up in, like, this artsy-fartsy community, like, with this. <laughs> and it wasn't like that at all. Yeah. Like, you know, the truth is because, you know, my dad, you know, had gone back to school for physical therapy and then and done various jobs with that degree um, because he was traveling too much mm-hmm. as a musician. And, and then my mom was also working as a graphic designer and other things. So like, like, you know, I wasn't always just engulfed by art and the culture of like Manhattan Plaza was more of just, it was just New York. Like yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't like, Oh, we're all artists. Like it just was like, everyone would be at the playground playing ball, getting into trouble, 
drinking, getting into fights, but then it would just be like so-and-so's mom happened to be like on that TV show or yeah. some shit. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it wasn't, so to me, like the way I came across hip hop was just a completely on some New York shit. Like I was at the, at the park playing ball, little kid looking up to the bigger kids who were just New York street kids and they just were listening to hip hop and that was the language. And then, so I got really deep into it just cause I wanted to hear what they were listening to. And then when I got, you know, um, started playing ball in Harlem, the South Bronx and whatever, it was so clear. Like, you know, I went, I had my, my home friends who were a certain way I had at school. I was like on the Upper West Side with all these like white kids from the Upper West Side. Yeah. And then I would go to the Harlem and the South Bronx and I was in all these different places in like in New York, hip hop was the universal language that everybody spoke. Mm -hmm. So as someone who was like, you know, wanted to, weave through all these worlds i was of course just infatuated with it and I, th- I remember just being like bro like literally like second third grade on the on the yellow school bus with like a walkman that also had the radio and Word. listening to hot 97 wow. on my school bus home you know what i mean so mm-hmm. it was it was young like it was young Early. and it really had nothing to do with my parents in that regard because my pops was into jazz which obviously yeah. is you know a father of hip-hop but uh, he wasn't really yeah. into hip hop like that, but they were supportive and cool with you listening to this music. I'm assuming. Well, my mom used to make me get the edited version. <laughs> yeah. So I'll never forget, like, yo, bro, I wanted the Eminem album, the Eminem mm-hmm. show. Yeah. Because just it, listened to it yesterday. Crazy. Yo, bro, yeah. that shit. And motherfuckers put me on, and I went to. Uh, my mom took me to Tower Records, and she's like, "I'm gonna listen to it and see if it's okay," because I really wanted it. So she literally made them take it out yeah. and shit. Made it, let her listen to it. She listened to the first song yeah. on there, which is White, White America. America. Yep. And she was like, I don't like it. And then yeah. she kept going a little bit. And the funny part is, the this is some classic my mom shit. The funny part is that she didn't feel like listening to the rest of the shit. Yeah. And But she was like, all right. So she was like, all right, look, I'm going to get this for you. I'm getting you the edited version, but you have to promise me that you don't listen to White mm. America. And it's funny because actually white America is like some poignant commentary when you it go is. back to it. That's Huge. like, yeah, so I was bumping it yesterday. Yeah, I but I, I think she album. just heard all the cursing. Yeah. And, it, yeah. and then and then like I was like, what's crazy is for months I didn't listen to white America. I wow, really held listened. it down. I wow. held it down for months and months and months. And then I was just like, fuck that shit, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Let but, it bang, man. But yeah, yeah, I used to. Um, My parents were cool with it. You know, they never like I don't, I don't even think they really knew like when I was really listening to hip hop on LimeWire and Kazaa, downloading yeah, all this yeah. music. But there was a part of me when I was young that I'd have my CD player and every time a curse would come up, I would just put the fader down real quick on the CD yeah. player and try to like censor it myself. Yeah. But um comes a point where you're just like, nah, I'm missing out on a big aspect of the music by doing that. Yo, you know? crazy. I would be like guessing which the curse yeah. words were. And actually the Eminem show had like, it was cool because it had like this little squiggly noise it made when for, it for cursed the, for oh, the, for curses. the curses. <laughs> yeah, it was like, like it wasn't just yeah. like empty. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I, you know, in retrospect, I don't know. I like, I do think, yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously it's like the curse is just a big part of it. It's kind of arbitrary in a yeah. sense, but yeah. also in a sense, it's like I was really young mm-hmm. and I think she just wanted to give some like resistance yes so like of course. Yo, not just free reign exactly yeah, how she feels a mother just to say yeah listen to yeah it was, it was bad yeah. a lot of that shit too that was like the height of gangster rap and it yep. was like big time yo we gotta remember 
like think about loving your child that's like eight years old and you didn't grow up on that music. A yeah. lot of the shit that's being said is yeah, you can imagine pretty, how it's scary. Pretty it crazy. Is. It wasn't yeah. like the ta- Talib records. I was like trying yeah. to listen to like G Unit, <laughs> like yeah. you know. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you around this time when you know you, your mom's getting you the Eminem show and everything else. What albums and records were you going to like first? It was the Eminem show was a big one. And then that same summer, it was like, it was that and it was Nellyville. Mm-hmm. Nelly was like Word. mad big because Hot mm-hmm. in Here was like the shit. And yep. number one was like my song. And I was like, I was like nine at this time or something like that, eight. And then, uh, you know, after that, it was kind of like 50 Cent era. Like he just was dominating everything, yeah. the whole 50 Cent G unit. Um, and then, of course, Dipset. Was like religion, and I spent a lot of time in Harlem as like a preteen and teenager. So that shit was like, you know, that was like a religion. I had like the, the fucking. If you went to my MySpace page when they first made MySpace, I had like the Dipset background. And you know, how you picked the song. <laughs> yep. I had yep. like the Get 'Em Daddy remix yeah. <laughs> on the with the Dipset shit. And um, wow, yeah, your homies at school must have been like, yo, Marlon's on some shit, man. Yo, I, well, the thing was like, cause I went to school with like the the like the white kids oh preppier crowd and i won't even say white but it was just Mm. like the school that i went to was like an advanced program Mm -hmm. so it was it was um predominantly white kids from the up west side but it was also just a lot of kids who were like came from probably more affluent backgrounds generally because they just had greater access to resources and so were further Mm -hmm. ahead so like yo i (laughs) I was like the guy in that school that was like bringing all the shit from yeah, home word up. that to them, mm-hmm. like, nah, this is the cool shit. Like, yeah. this is the whatever. So um, it's funny, too, because I got I learned how to be uh, like in school. I was the man. But when I went uptown to play ball and like you whatever, humbled. I was humbled. <laughs> yeah, word. So it was like I got to understand what it's like to be like the leader and the follower mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Dope. So at what point did you not only... Uh, just be a lover of hip hop, but actually start penning things? Or was you, were you always trying to write a little bit as you were just listening to music? Uh, yeah. I mean, it was like a venting thing. So I was always a, a really good writer. Like that was my thing. I would write like poems for family members on holidays and I would like really good at writing in school. But hip hop was the, was the, you know, the, the cool shit that the, the way that I wanted to relate to writing. So like I was, I would just vent. Like at night, I would just be like stressed and trying, and I would just write to vent, and I would try to write raps. And that was like middle school that started, but and then in high school, it was like me and my homie Ricky Motion, who's on my album, mm-hmm. personally, and my friend Blake, we would like get together and just make bullshit in Garage Band, and but they were the only two people I would share it with because it was real personal, and also I went to I went to Beacon for high school, and just in general in high school in New York, bro, everybody wants to try to rap yeah like everybody mm-hmm. and then especially too like at beacon it was like another situation where it was a lot of like and shout out to everyone that was there like there's the homies but it was a lot of like park slope upper west side white kids like trying yeah. to rap and trying to be all this and all that and i was like bro y'all all just kind of like saying all the slang that i heard two years ago because i was actually chilling uptown and i was actually so it's like you know i don't want to be lumped in with this like trying to rap yeah like y'all are trying to rap and and then also I was just competitive. I was like a ball player and I was like, unless I'm nice or unless I'm like really trying to do this, I'm not trying to put it out. So I kept it pretty hidden. But when I got to college is when I got like, you know, I was really depressed. My anxiety got the worst it's ever been. And that was the thing that I just kept turning to 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 vent. And I realized like I have to do this. You know what I mean? Word. 
Yeah, I want you to continue painting that picture. That was actually one of the questions I had lined up for you was when you go to college, which was out of New York, right? Yeah. I mean, I went through something similar when my first year of college going to Connecticut, but just being away from home, being away from your homies and living in that university environment, how did that affect you at that time in your life? Bro, like that shit. So, I mean, it was just hard for me because I never even went on like sleepovers as a kid. I would always like leave early in the night. Like I just might, that was part of kind of my anxiety, I guess. Yeah. And how it would manifest. And uh, I just couldn't sleep other places. Even when I played AAU ball, we would go to these tournaments and I would like get one hour of sleep because I couldn't sleep all night. I'd be playing like four games in a day on yeah. one hour of sleep. Like I was just like so stressed and anxious. And, um, but I, I knew that like if I didn't leave for college, I was never going to leave and I was going to be stuck with this thing. And I had, so I knew I had to go do it. So I pushed myself and I went to American in DC. But when I got there, so it was really hard because I was dealing with that, just being away from home and just being whatever. But then also I was just really disenchanted with a lot of the people there. It's like a private white institution. It was just like, you know, I realized just, you know, a lot of, a lot. And there were some great people there too, but the, the institution as a whole, I just wasn't fucking with it. I just wasn't fucking with a lot of the people there. They weren't even like cool. Like it was like all the, <laughs> it was like all the toxic shit yeah, about like yeah. social life in New York without mm -hmm. any of like the coolness. Yeah, no, fla the, no flavor. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah, no yeah. flavor. Yeah. It's just like mad broy and like, mm. and uh, I was just like not really fucking with it. And, um, and I, and as my anxiety got worse and worse, I was just starting to be like, man, how am I going to be like a real person? Cause I'm having trouble just like sitting in class. Yeah. How am I going to like, how could I like sit at a job? Like, how can I like, you know, I just was really, you know, reached a point where it was, it was bad. And, uh, I would just go to the music building at night. Like they would keep it open and I would just, uh, they had like these piano rooms, like practice rooms. So the walls were a little bit treated. Mm -hmm. I would just go with my USB mic and my computer, bro. And I would just fucking, I would just go in like wow. I, that was like my till like three in the morning. And that was the only thing that was like getting me through. And that's yeah. why I was like my grandma, who was a director and taught directing. She always said about the arts, like if you don't need it to breathe, don't do it, mm -hmm. do anything else. And that's when I really was like, I need this to breathe, man. Word. You know what I'm saying? So that's that real. Like, so you started going heavy at that point. Yeah. yeah. For yourself at least. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. honing in on your craft. Yeah. Wow. So my first exposure to you was maybe we're in 2020 now. I think it was either 2015 or 2016. That's wild, bro. Yeah. Time's flying. Yeah, man. It's, it's, it feels crazy to even say that, bro. But um, it was from seeing one of your craft styles. I don't remember the first one I've seen, but it was on Facebook. Yeah. And for those who don't know about your craft style, speak on that a bit. But I want to just paint the picture when I saw the first craft style on Facebook, I actually see, I think I peeped it when it had like a couple hundred thousand views. And I was yeah. like, damn, one, who is this kid? Yeah. How's he spitting like this? Like without me actually knowing about him, I thought, I thought maybe you had a whole back catalog of music at that point. But I was like, damn, this shit really has went viral. And then yeah. from then on out, I was like, so hype when I would see you stay consistently dropping the craft styles. Word. It's not you just dropped it, dropped one, stopped for a long time, dropped another one. It was like 
there was a point in time when you were so consistent with them. Once a month, I was doing them. That's crazy, yeah. man. And what was what what was the first one you ever did? The first one that I ever did It wasn't Survival of the Fittest, right? No, that was that was the one that got that was most the viral of the praise. one. Okay. Yeah. Or, so first of all, it's crazy to even hear you say for those people that don't know the craft styles that might not know because that's like a whole career achievement for me because mm -hmm. there was a point in time where it was like the craft styles were going viral everywhere and that was everything and it was like I was trying to get people to understand that like it's music there's music behind all this like I have music <laughs> so that was kind of awesome to even yeah. just hear you say yeah. that, that that we've reached that reality yeah, not that sure, I don't man. love the craft styles no doubt but um you know the first one I ever did from that setting in my room with the thing was actually on, I didn't call it a craft style, but it was like a Drake summer 16 freestyle. And I was just, and it was at a different angle, but people were just like, yo. And I was like, oh shit, people was fucking with that. And then I did another one on, on hype, uh, the hype beat by Drake. And then uh, I did the team backpack thing and I won yes. it. And then after that, I was like, all right, let's go. And then the first one that I called it a craft style, and that was because people just kept dick sucking and being like, it's not a freestyle. Like, dude. So I just got tired. Oh, I just got yeah, tired of that yeah. shit. The first one I called it a craft style was uh, was Mighty Healthy. Mm, I rapped on Mighty fire. Healthy. And that shit That actually, may have been the first one I've seen, With man. the Dunder Mifflin yeah, shirt. Yeah, crazy. And that actually crazy. got like a million views on Facebook. Mm -hmm. or something like it really went. And I was like, whoa. And then after that was the survival of the fittest and that's when it was like front page of world star reddit yep. like that shit mm -hmm. was really really everywhere yeah um and they had that video on facebook that was like 10 million mm -hmm. and it was like uh and i never even sh could share it because like the, it was mad corny that the guy they put some titles on top the guy of them, was like right? it was like white yep. kid it was like white <laughs> dude does whatever and yeah. so i i never shared that shit once that shit got 10 million views but i was like that's Crazy. corny like yeah you know like uh but yeah, bro, like that, those were the days and I, I just had to be consistent because I was like, yo, this is working. Mm -hmm. This is getting me new fans. Shouts to Team Backpack and Armani. He Word would up. share all of them and then yep. I would get fans off that on Facebook. And I was like, man, I just got to be consistent because I didn't really have resources or understanding of how else to gain fans. Yeah. And that's what like, it's a learning process. We just keep learning and like what works but yeah. my thing is like in the meantime like i'm just gonna I'm gonna keep feeding yeah. it and keep working man. i think one of the the best aspects of that whole series was just the backdrop of you recording in your room as simple as it is i feel like people really resonated with that like okay this dude ain't going to you know some million dollar studio to record these like this is he's actually bringing us into his home yeah that's crazy and what's know? so ill is like now when i go to the shows and stuff people will be like always say to me like i've been rocking with you since the bedroom yeah <laughs> i've been rocking with you since the bedroom and i want to be like i'm still in the bedroom yeah. bro. <laughs> like, or, you know but but that uh yeah i think that was kind of the thing about that too was the whole aesthetic of it yeah like you know Here's this like me looking like me, mm -hmm. and I was extra looking like me. Like even yeah. like you know, I didn't even like these days. I mean, I still just be on my bummy shit, but you know, like people send me clothes now. Yeah, you know, yeah. I dress a little better nah, now. You were like, just woke up. Let me. Spit. I was like, <laughs> I was like, my mom was cut, giving me my haircuts, 
And I was like fucking, you know, my mom was cutting my hair and I was getting in front of the shit, like looking all scrawny and just doing the shit. So I, I, uh, yeah, man, like that, those were the days. And, and I think that that is the, the aesthetic of it. And I kind of actually leaned into that mm-hmm. because I started to realize like, yo, I can't really lose because people either like, like the dumber I look, Mm-hmm. The more the more shocking the shocking it is are, when I'm word. bodying this shit. Word. So I was like, I don't. I'm not even gonna try to like look cool. Yeah. I'm just gonna. That'd fucking, be whack regardless if you if you yeah. did try. You know yeah, what I mean? Like that ass. Yeah. 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 So. so, I mean, as all this shit started going viral and you started to see the actual numbers, you know, once you get into the millions of anything, I mean, such a clear indication that you got something. Obviously. Yeah. Uh, you started work. You started working on some EPs, or you were around that time. He yeah. looked like nothing. Those, yeah. those joints. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what was working on? I, don't I was know. on. He looked like okay. nothing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think that was the first like music video I seen from you. Yeah. And um, just how was it around that time? Like, was it just a complete grind, or did you still have like some reservations about about just the whole music thing? I was like, I thought I could just. Uh, I thought I was just going to keep making craft styles until I just ran the world and I was going to be independent and yeah. just do everything. Like, you know, <laughs> because like the stuff people were saying to me, like that, the type of fans that I have and the type of people that connect with the music, because the craft style was just the, the doorway in. And I was saying real shit in the craft styles, but 100%. the music that I was making was always like this vulnerable shit that was connecting with people. So from the messages I was getting, from the way, the amount of people that I controlled on Facebook at that time, because mm-hmm. Facebook was still cracking back Huge. then. And like, I was just like, man, we're just going to keep going and keep building. And the industry kind of boxed me out, frankly, like yeah. at, during that time, because you remember, I don't know if you were at the Webster Hall show, but the first show I did at Webster Hall you know, no one even knew who I really was like that. We did 300 tickets headlining at Webster Hall, bro. We did Crazy. like even that Baby's All Right show like yep. that you were at. Yeah, like we that. sold that shit out pre-sale. Easy. You know, like yeah. and that was crazy. And I had, you know, numbers on things. We went, did the number one for Tunnel Zen on iTunes. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even an album. Yeah. You know, like I, I did all this stuff back then off the numbers of people that I had, but I didn't fit into the um, aesthetic of like, we could sell this. We could sell this. And people and or like it was just confusing because I was rapping like a gangster rapper. Yeah. The way I grew up listening to shit, mm-hmm. looking like me. And people were just like, I don't know. They, you know, and you know how the industry is anyway. They need like 87 cosigns from like their or, cool people list before yeah. they do anything. Yeah. So I was just like, uh, I was just a little confused at the time. Like I was just getting a little frustrated where I was kind of starting to be like, why am I watching people that can't sell 20 tickets in our own city? I was repping New York super hard. I was on that take New York back shit. And like, I was kind of being the change that I wanted to see, trying to do all the stuff that people were complaining about. I just think they didn't like the guy that was doing it Mm -hmm. or they hadn't heard about it because no industry person had given it to them yet. And the people knew what was up, but it was just weird because I was looking for the big opportunity to take everything to the next level. Cause I wanted to get in the studio with musicians. Mm-hmm. I wanted to like make, improve the music, all that shit. And I was just kind of like, why is no one a brand? It was me and Kenny and our friend Dan trying to just freestyle our way yeah. into a career. Yeah. And um, so it was, it was like definitely a positive time when we just, I, and I was way optimistic. I was like, Oh bro, we're going to, Look what look what we're doing. Like and but what I realized was 
like what I just kept realizing is that man, like they will really like it doesn't matter. Like you have to um how should I say this? Because this is actually important. And I was arguing with someone on Twitter about this. You uh if you don't stop going and your music and your art is great, you will not fail. But you have to not stop because your music and your art being great and numbers don't guarantee you a seat at any table or a career. Mm, so I, I've done numbers compared to like when you look at where I was in my like career back then compared to what like the numbers we were doing were ridiculous. Yeah. And we we couldn't get snow in winter. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So. Yeah, that's wild, man. Yeah, and I think um, a lot of what you were feeling at that time shows through in the tunnel's end. Yeah. Because when I first heard that project, I mean, I listened to some of the other EPs and stuff, and I was watching the videos, but that project was so thematically planned out, just yeah. with the skips and, and the concept behind it, and um, it sounded like had the mixing and the production value had leveled up. There was some live instrumentation. Then you had the whole video rollout. I was like, okay, I can see that not only are you acting like you have something to prove, but you're actually going into overdrive when it comes to this music shit. Yeah. And um, that project for you, man, um, it's funny. It's like, I know you, you consider it a mixtape and yeah, yeah. other it's considered a mixtape, but a lot of people saw that at the time as like, your debut they still like, do album. yeah, yeah still, a lot yeah. of people still do i'm not mad yeah. at that yeah you know, yeah I, I mean if anything it's uh it's an accomplishment because they're they're just bigging it up yeah. you know yeah. but um yeah yeah i feel like a lot of artists they get to that point of getting those numbers you know they're on warstar they're on you know they got the numbers on instagram and facebook and yeah. they think that's it and they made it but that's totally not the case yeah yeah, and not stopping is is key. Well, also because yeah. you think, like, whatever numbers seemed big back then, but it's like then when you start to get into stuff and you realize, like, what numbers that make you money actually look mm, like, you realize yeah. that you didn't have numbers yeah, yeah, <laughs> to yeah. begin with. Yeah. All, and, and, and I mean, like, also to be clear, man, like, I'm so grateful for all that shit because, you know, I didn't one of the part of the concept behind this new EP that that I'm coming out mm-hmm. with is you know I had to get so good like I'm glad we didn't get these opportunities or these looks that I mm. thought that I wanted yeah. 3 years ago because I wouldn't have been ready Word. and I wouldn't have been delivering stuff to the biggest audience at the time when my music is at the highest level that I want it to be and so you know when we finally get it it's going to be how we intended it to be. Yes. Even though the journey is not at all how we intended originally. Mm. Um, because, you know, I had to go, I had to like, I had to get really, really good at everything. And, and I feel like, and I'm still just getting so much better at everything. So I like that the more eyes I get, the better I'm getting and how that's kind of moving together, you know? Yeah, man. Yeah. I think, uh, your journey has been just incredibly uh, fascinating to watch because you're such a uncanny, uh, let's say, 
I don't know, character, people, people, <laughs> people would say that, you know, yeah, yeah, although yeah. anyone who really knows hip hop knows that, I mean, it could be a dude with no arms spitting, you know, <laughs> you should, like, it could be, it could be anything, you know, yeah. anyone, anyone who has the passion and drive could, could live this life, you know, but, um, one aspect of you that I've always appreciated and something that I've just been seeing in New York, you know, me being kind of just in the midst of so many different circles is this beautiful camaraderie that's been going on between different MCs of like our generation, yeah. you know, like, like just to see like you and Rad and Coda, yeah. like all be killing it and be cool with each other yeah. and be supporting each other and liking each other's posts and sharing. Like for me growing up, that's like a different side of New York that I didn't really get to see. Yeah. Like being s such a fan of the culture. I was used to more, you know, beef or like how everyone's kind of been saying like the typical cliche recently of how like in New York back in the day, it was like Dipset was running it. Yeah. And before yeah. the G unit was running it. And then, yeah. you know, this group was running it. It was a little bit more divided. So to be a part of this circle where everyone's killing it and showing love, I mean, that's so fire to me, man. Yeah, man. Thanks. I mean, I and I agree. Like it's it's awesome for me to watch too. Mm -hmm. Like that shit is just um and you know, Team Backpack does not get enough credit. I and agree, Armani man. Cooper does I not agree. get enough credit. I agree. Because we all met through Team Backpack in those early days with Armani putting on those events and those things. Mm -hmm. That's how we all got exposed to each other. Oswin, Chris as well, our right. ads to yes. the names. Those guys like that's how we all got aware of each other, got cool, got the respect, and we had um, a place to generate a little bit of, like, fanship early. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's a shame, you know, kind of the that it's not where it was then. Yeah. But um, it's a beautiful thing to see, man. Like, And I think New York has always been about, like, community and shit. You yeah. Know, like, Native Tongues, Days, mm -hmm. you know, like... That's the other side that they don't like to, and the, and the competitive nature is always there. Yes. Like we all, I think you know, um, but it's just so we all appreciate how hard it is what we're trying to do, um, and in some ways it's easier today than ever to make a name for yourself doing music, but it's also harder and it's in in certain ways. Yeah. So I and I just flooded. <laughs> yeah, it's flooded, bro. Yeah. I just respect those guys, man. Like you know, me and Coda. Got some stuff coming together. Fire. Um, and I'm just a huge fan of his music. You know, Rad, obviously we see Rad all the time and it's love and and I'm excited about all the things he's doing. And uh I talk to Oswin Benjamin all the time, man, and and uh, you know, Chris Rivers. Um I'm trying to think if there's anyone forgetting, but there's so many there's so many yeah, like it's a community, man. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's ill, bro. And and it's awesome to do some of these events and like see people pop up to shows mm -hmm. and to events and it's dope, man. It's dope. And yeah. and I, and I think uh yeah, it's just dope. Yeah, awesome. word up, man. <laughs> so as you transitioned into, you know, inking your deal that you're in now currently and um working on Funhouse Mirror, yeah. what you would consider your true debut album, yeah. correct? Uh how was like did you feel a big amount of pressure on your shoulders at that point in your career or were you just like I just got to show and prove uh I think yeah like both mm -hmm. I mean I think I always feel pressure I'm kind of good with pressure um sometimes yeah <laughs> um I you know 
the first song I made for Funhouse Mirror was Show Up. Mm -hmm. And that's because it was the morning. We had flown Arbison from Sweden to work on the album. We were going to set up in this brownstone in Bed-Stuy. And um, I, in the morning, was going to leave to do, like, the first day of real work on, like, this is the album work that we're doing. And I was talking to my mom in the kitchen, and I was just like, fuck, like, what if I just can't come up with anything fire? (laughs) Like, and she was like, that's what she said to me. She was like, you always, you always show up. She's yeah. like, you know, when it's time, like to, you always show up. And so I wrote that song it was the first song. It's mm-hmm. like, if I fuck it up, fuck it. If yeah. I fuck it up, fuck it. You Word. know, like when it's time to show up, I'm going to show up. And that's how I, I, I kind of felt. So it was, it was like, it was pressure, but it was yeah. excitement. I felt mm-hmm. more liberated and free because I finally had a little bit of budget where I could get in a studio instead of my corner of my bedroom and Word. I could get the musicians in and be creative. So yeah. I was excited. And I think your uh, type of music is works to your advantage, just the fact that you're so vulnerable and open. It's not like you got to posture and make up a bunch of hot shit just yeah. to impress people, you know? And I think that's what uh, draws so many people into your music is like, yo, this dude is speaking about real shit insecurities you know things that are slowing him down in life vulnerability you know yeah. real issues and um what makes you feel you know comfortable enough to be that open especially in this time of just social media where people can just assassinate you online and comments and this and that like it's it's courageous to open to be that open with, Thank with you, your man. fans man Thank yeah. you. um i don't know like I, what you know, because I am so comfortable with it, and I'm reminded sometimes that not everybody is that way. Yeah, real talk. And and I have to like remind, remember, you know. But I think this is what I had to do. Like this is the only way I'm sitting here with you. You know, not to be dramatic, but it's like that's what saved me is putting this stuff down on paper, mm-hmm. and then look to where where it's got me, and and I'm so proud of that. Yeah. Like you know, um, you know, I'm I don't consider myself a I'm an arrogant person and I try to really humble myself all the time, but I take pride in that. Like I have a lot of pride in that and who I've become, you know, despite those things, but also because of those things. Yes. So I'm like, I'm like, man, I'm not afraid to share that. And also because I know it's just more important than my ego. Like people need to hear it. Yeah. I know it. Cause I know, cause the messages that I get, I know it. Cause I remember how I felt listening to kid Cudi when Word I up. was 16 and, fucked up you know what i'm saying so i just know that it's just so much more important than my insecurity Mm -hmm. and it's just bigger than that Um, yeah that's real man i mean man that's the perfect segue into uh i want to talk about the funk flex freestyle man (laughs) because uh obviously that must have been such a monumental moment for your career and uh, how Okay, yeah, let, let, let's sit on this for a bit, man. How did you actually prepare for that? If you want to go into it a bit, like, did you have a fair amount of time beforehand to really finesse that, or was it very sudden? So I got into this thing a while ago where I was always feeling like I wasn't getting opportunities when I deserved them. Mm-hmm. And so I just flipped it, and I was like, I'm not going to complain. They're giving me time, so I'm going to use the time to ultra prepare yeah. when the opportunities come. Mm. which I know they will if I keep working, I'm going to be ridiculously prepared. Word. So I wrote most of that like a year ago. <laughs> like uh, for real. Yeah. Like I, I, I had that for a long time. Most of that. 
Um, and especially like I remember after Black Thought did the 10 minute freestyle, yep. my first thought was like, I got to go 11 mm-hmm. and I'm starting right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's why I kind of at the end gave him the homage too, where I realized like, love that. I don't, it don't got to be 11 though, you know, because I'm me. Mm-hmm. It's not about just like, it's about doing you the best you can yep. and not trying to, you know, outdo yourself by another man's standards but yeah those are um, some of my favorite bars in that whole joint thank you, know? you man yeah and and um but you know i i was prepared the other thing that's i'll tell you is that i had two more minutes <laughs> that uh was supposed to like was like a trap verse and wow. because you know i seen some guys like switching up beats you know, and and I wanted to be the best. So I was like, I'm all right, I'm gonna do three different beats and I'm gonna go like that boom bap tempo to a trap tempo back to a boom bap tempo. Yeah. So I had like a two minute trap verse that was gonna go in the middle of that, but Flex told me I could only pick one beat. Yeah. And I kind of was like, yo, please let me get at least two so I could, cause the tempo changed. And he was just like, no, 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 you're doing one. So I was like, all right, I respect it. So, so as crazy as it was, long as it was, had more words. So someone's wow. gonna get those bars. Wow. Um, and how was it like when you were in that seat? Like, were you were you actively like really nervous, or were you just like kind of just ready? Like, this is what I've been waiting for. You know, I'll keep it all the way real with you. I was mad nervous, but we were we were waiting so long that by, and it was like three in the morning that by the time I got to the seat. I was too tired to really be nervous. Yeah. I, I was yeah. kind of too tired because because we were there real early. Flex took a while to pull up and then Arsenal shot his shit before me. So we were just there for like a long time. So when I sat down, I was kind of ready to go. And also like the energy that I'm more used to is that is is a little bit of a not that that Flex wasn't uh, showing me love before we went in there. But it was just like, you know, we were waiting for a long yeah. time. It was just but like I'm used to that energy, like 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 the little homie prove yourself energy. Yeah. Like, cause that's been my whole life, even from basketball, being the only white kid pulling up everywhere yeah. and everyone's trying to trying to press you, like, what you gonna do? Yeah. And it's like, I'm used to that. I was more nervous on Sway when it, when they were all like, yo, you the man, your album's incredible, that's you crazy. got it. And I was like, Oh shit, I'm not used <laughs> to this. This this pressure, <laughs> like, you know, yeah. like the don't let us down pressure yeah. is different than the yeah. Then the then the who the fuck are you? So pressure. you didn't take it personal like some people did in the comments when when Flex went straight into the anxiety shit after you just ripped it for ten minutes. <laughs> well, well, it's, well. So I'll tell you this. So here's the other thing. This is I actually haven't gotten to talk about this anywhere yet. But I thought he said for it was very fast. I I didn't think the question was whack. I thought it was very fast. Like, I just finished out. It was, like, almost immediate. Like, I was, was very taken like, aback. Within 10 seconds or so. Yeah, like, <laughs> within, like, three seconds. I was like, yeah, oh. Yeah. So I was just taken aback because I had just been in the crazy zone um, and and whatever. Um, but the other, the other piece of that puzzle was, like, you know, I thought he said, he said, I want to ask you about anxiety because you're talking to someone that can't entirely relate. Mm. I thought he said can Oh, I wow. swear to God, like wow. when we were there, I thought he said camp. So I, I was sitting there being like, did Funk Flex just admit to me that he has anxiety yeah. on it? Th- like, this is the illest shit that wow. ever happened in life. <laughs> I'm a legend. Like, I was like, you know what I'm saying? This is crazy. So I, my response, even though I was just really in a whirlwind because I just done this whole thing, I didn't know what I was saying. And I just was like, not as articulate as I would have liked to be. But I was like, but 
I, I felt positive about it because I was like, yo, I just ripped that. And now he just admitted like we were having a moment. So later, you know, we went back and 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 obviously I realized that he said that he said he can't relate and he wanted to hear about it and whatever. I, I like I think like it is what it is. The people spoke. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like I, I, I think that Flex had me in that chair. He doesn't have a lot of people in that chair um, at my level. Mm hmm. I think um, when he released his 10 upcoming artists to watch the, a week later, I was on that list yeah. with a bunch of other guys that you would never really see me on a list with. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, that the people spoke, bro. Like, I don't really, um, it, it doesn't really matter so much like what I think because everyone saw what I did. Mm -hmm. Everyone saw how it was handled. And they had their own opinions about it. But I, I will say that one of the coolest things about it uh, was just, like, it was it was undeniably, like, I don't want to say it, like, it was really ill to just be able to do my thing. Yes. And have everyone else speak for me. Yes. Because undeniable is the right word, man. Yeah. I mean, you 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 spit your heart out for ten minutes, didn't skip a beat. And uh I can't I I can't think of, you know, too many other people other than some homies and people in the industry I respect who could do the same. Yeah, you know? thank you. So undeniable is right, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean and, and I think that what's so cool about that is that it's like I don't have to be sitting here having a conversation with you being like, man, Flex didn't show me the love I Hell deserve no. because yeah. the people spoke. Yeah, clearly. And all that matters to me is like all I've ever wanted is a platform to be given like a fair assessment yes. of the craft and the art mm -hmm. because I put that shit against anybody. Yeah. And, I, and that's what I work on. And so I feel... I feel that that was one of the first times on one of the biggest platforms where straight up, because it wasn't just my fans. Mm -hmm. It was people like, yeah, I never well. heard of this dude, but yeah. he killed it or he didn't get the love he deserved or whatever. Yeah. So that to me is like the love. That, that's all that matters, man. That's all that matters. At the end of the day, him putting you on that list a week later shows that he was obviously feeling your shit. <laughs> yeah, and you and know? or that or that he has to respect it, right? It doesn't really matter. Mm, yeah. No disrespect to him cuz again, I I appreciate the 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 platform OD. Um and but but right, it's like that's what's so ill. And that's why I don't think people people got to understand their power to curate what they want. Mm. That was a really micro example of that. Yes. But Curate the real, bro. Let your voice be heard when you feel like something connects to you that's real or when something's elite. Don't wait to see what everybody says because people have to listen to you, you know, uh, the proverbial you. And and that was so dope for me to for me to see like that meant a lot. I was like, I just sat back. Yeah. Yeah. That's real, man. The people spoke. Yeah. So for you to hit uh, the road on tour with Brother Ali, Evidence, which is crazy because those are two of my favorite MCs of all time. It would be. Yo, you're it's, you're it's, a Brother <laughs> Ali, Evidence type of motherfucker. Yo, I'm a huge Rhyme Series like, Yeah, you like, are. Fan, you bro. are, aren't you? Big, yeah. big, big time, bro. I mean, yeah. they're, they're like two of 
you know, a big, a big mix, but yeah, those yeah. two for real. So when I seen that, I was like, yo, smart move on, on whoever I like, really line that, you know, yeah. because, uh, I thought it, I thought it fit, you know, but how was it to hit tour with them and to interact with their fans? But also I'm sure you were bringing out fans of your own at those, at those shows. Right? Yeah. I mean, that yeah. was, that was Dante Ross got us on that tour because mm-hmm. he's cool with, uh, with evidence Word. and the rhyme stare cats and shout out to them. They did not have to take me and they did. And, um, and it was, and it was love. They were gracious hosts the whole time. Um, they were super cool. Um, you know, and it was an amazing experience. Those guys have been touring for, you know, 20 plus years. Like I have meet yes. fans there that were like, yo, this is like my 12th show or, yeah. and those guys have built something incredible. And mm-hmm. I just learned so much from being around them and, and about what longevity, longevity looks like or what's required. And they were just mad cool. And we just got, we just got cool with all of them over the course of the thing. And yeah, um, I get evidence. said he's going to send me some beats. The other day, oh man, so, um, that would be incredible, man. Yeah. Or it's crazy because I uh, I heard a podcast with Brother Ali and he was saying how Rhyme Series has this tradition where um, almost every new tour they have, they try to find someone who's up and coming that they could bring in and actually like show them firsthand yep. like how to form a business out of touring yep. and just drop gems. And bro- Brother Ali said that Atmosphere did that for him and yep. and it's just something that they try to do. So how just was it like? Being on the road with them, man. It was ill. It was mm-hmm. ill. And they've also, like, they do. They definitely do that. And they've also been burnt by some people doing that. And so for them to still not be jaded by that yeah. and bring somebody like me out was really ill. Um, and it was amazing, bro. I mean, the type of fans they have, not all fans are, you know, there's depth yeah. as far and as well as breadth. Like, it's, and, and they have the depth on packed. Um, and it was just amazing, man. Um, you know, I, I, I'm really grateful for them. Um, we've been trying to find an opening tour slot. You know, Dizzy took me two years yeah, ago. Yeah. And ever since then, I mean, no one really ever wants to take me on tour. Um, you know. Well, you got to make your own way, man. Got to make your own way. That's why I do the small you, headlining yeah. stuff. And I'm grateful. Again, it's like another thing that I'm grateful for. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. It's, that, it's, that's what you did down south recently, right? Oh uh, yeah, south yeah, of the winter tour. Yeah, exactly. So that was just like you and the team setting that up for yourself. Yeah, and you know, little smaller scale shows. But before this podcast, you were telling me that you still got to sell out some shit. Yeah, you still got amazing feedback from the fans. How was this most recent tour? It was epic, bro. It was we we went in with low expectations because you know we're really trying to build these hard tickets. Like that's that's the way for longevity in this game, and that's what I care about a lot. And um, you know, when you break into a market, it's not always pretty. Especially you've never been there, you're a headliner. People are a lot of times afraid to do those smaller shows, especially when you're trying to like portray something outwardly online. Yeah, that you're at a certain level, and then you're afraid to go do a show um, that's going to be small. And and the holidays was like the promotional period, so we were kind of. We didn't know how it was really going to go. Yeah. But we sold out the first show in Charlotte. We sold out the last show in Austin. All the other shows did really well. Mm-hmm. The smaller shows, we expected to be small. And even there, like the depth of like the meet and greets and the merch and everything. I mean, the fans are there. They're excited. They're passionate. I took my homie Bobby Fino with me, um, who, who's Arian Foster, formerly of the Houston Texans. And they were incredible. Like his whole squad, man, we just kicked it with them. And he's such a cool, uh, intelligent, thoughtful cat. So it was, it was just a great time, man. 
Dope, man. Yeah, bro. And your fan base just seems to be so loyal and so dope, man. And I feel like uh, you're an artist who really gives back to his fans. You know, you got the you got the separate text number set up. You yeah, know, you're yeah. always interacting, and uh, you got hours right, yeah, which is yeah. a beautiful community outreach institution. Yep. Um, I mean, let's let's speak on that a bit, man. Hours just seems to be such a dope collective, and and. Yeah. Uh, you guys are just doing great things, man. I came to the Code Drive. I see you guys Word. doing a bunch of different things. Speak Thanks, to why, like, what even pushed you to want to create this community-centered group? Yeah, man. I mean, so, so yeah, ours, O-U-R dot S. Um, I think, yeah, you just said it really well. I'm going to steal that. What did you say? Community Engagement Institution? Yeah, something, like, yeah. something along those lines. Was, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll watch it back because that was ill. We've been, yeah. we've been, like, wrestling with the yeah. best way to, okay, like. Okay, dope. <laughs> uh, uh, but, yeah, um, look, I. So I always watch um, artists always have a brand that's an extension of themselves or that's a community that they create amongst their fans. But I feel like sometimes it's just mobilized around being cool. And I feel like we could mobilize that same coolness around doing shit that's important, that we care about, that, you know, um, moves the world forward just a little bit. Um, and, and at least just lets people move with that type of mindset because that's the new shit. It's 2020. Like, yeah, like. That shit is cool, bro. That's mm-hmm. the new gangster. Like that's, real. that's that's you know engaging with your community, thinking about how you can combat issues of inequality on on a micro day to day level. Whatever you can do, like that's the new gangster. Yeah, like for people that still don't actually have to live the old gangster, which is most people that try to front like Word they're up. still gangster. That's and, real, man. And um and you know so I just feel like that's the type of shit we need to be on. And so I wanted to do that. So we started. Last year, around the Do the Work single with Work Week, and we collaborated with three nonprofits in the mental health and education. And um, yeah, you guys had some dope workshops and shit with, yeah, with the youth. Yeah, yeah, and these different spaces. Uh, shouts to Sad Girls Club. Shouts to Building Beats. Shouts to uh, Nylag, New York uh, Legal Aid. But um, yeah, man, and 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 a lot of it too is just like you know, not to beat an old drum, but as a white dude in a black culture. I feel like the onus is on me, you know, to contribute back towards issues that affect us all, but also the black community. Of course. And contribute in, and not just take. And of so, course. like, that to me is maybe a little bit of a bigger priority than some, I feel like, as yeah. it should be. Definitely. And, and we all have a responsibility, especially after, you know, the loss of, like, Nipsey and, yeah. and just everyone in the game who has actually given us a blueprint to, like, Nah, like it's not all about money and whips and yeah and, and all this other nonsense. Like yeah. you're in a position to help. Right. If you don't take advantage of that, then you already know what's gonna happen. You know, the backlash from whatever force you want to believe in or just the, the culture itself is gonna happen, you know. So it's it's a responsibility that you're engaging in, man. Yeah, you man. Know? And I feel like, you know, it's so I was having this conversation with somebody. The new thing, too, is it's cool to, like, care about your homies. You know, it's like, I want to see all my homies eat. I want to see everybody win. I want us all to be billionaires. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, that's not how capitalism works, yeah. right? We can't all be billionaires. Yeah. There's, like, we can't even all really be millionaires. Um, the gap, the inequality gap is, like, widening. Like, that's not how this thing works. And I understand, like, I appreciate the improvement of a sentiment that was dog eat dog every man for himself to being somewhere where it's now more like 
nah, we want everybody to win. But now we got to start thinking a little more deeply about how everybody actually wins yeah. in the context that we exist in because we're rooting for shit that rhetorically is an improvement. But to be honest, it's like we're really just kind of adhering to the same principles of the system that leaves us all broken in the first place. Word. So, I, like, I, you know, I think with the ours thing, the, pri- the priority is understanding that um, I think in our generation, we get so caught up in how the macro is so daunting. Mm-hmm. You know, what can I really fucking do? Like, yeah. I don't know. And it's even corny to like, every time I talk about ours, you know, it's like, I want to be humble about it, downplay it. Cause it's like, you're not really doing shit really, but you are, you are, man. and you have to live in that dichotomy. It's yeah. like, yo, we're not really doing nothing, but actually you're doing everything because yes. the only, like, the macro seems so daunting. So people check out on the micro. Yeah. And in the end, that's what people that are trying to keep you down want. Yeah. Real talk, man. It's like, for me, I really believe you got to find your own way to contribute and to be, you know, a quote unquote, real activist, you know, because for me, just in my path, protesting is not my way. Yeah, You know, me speaking person to person with people like I am on this podcast and like I have in the past and creating, you know, pieces of work, you know, writings just in my own way. That's my way of impacting at least one person in one way, yep. hopefully thousands, you know, yep. eventually millions. But everyone needs to use their own gift to impact this earth in the yep. best way they know how. And it's not always going to be holding a sign or or doing something that is usually what you see, you know, nowadays amongst the youth, which I respect so much and I think is needed just as much. But yep. um, there's no small feat in creating a community that you have, let's say, and giving back just to your, your people. You yeah. Know? Yeah. No, I, yeah. I feel you, man. And it's something that, you know, I want to try to grow as I grow. Yeah. I feel like a lot of times, um, we think about the model of like, get rich and give back. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to think about like, all right, how can I engage along the way and not yes. wait till I'm rich? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's I, so many creatives who didn't have shit and gave everything to, the culture, you right? Know, just through their music, through their words, through right. their writings, through their paintings, whatever. You right. Know what I mean, right. So, and and I think the name, the name of the game too, just with all this shit. And I, these are questions I ask myself. You know what I mean? But the real question is like, it's all, it's about sacrifice. What are you willing to give? I don't know. Like, I'm still wrestling with that personally. Like, I don't, give, I don't give that much, really. You know what I mean? And I think like, uh, you know, there's more that I could give. Um. I try to leave an imprint on the world that I'm proud of. Um, but I think people people think about things in terms of, um, it's like in order for people that don't have to have, we have to give up. And even like this idea of like privilege, you know, that which is a new buzz thing. It's like, mm-hmm. bro, your awareness is the minimum participation like your awareness of your own privilege is like congrats Mm -hmm. you see the wall now are you gonna like keep running into it or break it down like it doesn't it doesn't do with it yeah Yeah. so so it's it's like what what that means is if you want things to get more even you're gonna have to give some of that up and what does that look like and and for everybody it's like it look it might look like time you know, it probably looks like time. Yeah. It looks like effort. It looks like comfort. It looks like, but these are the things that we got to start thinking about. Like, what are we willing to, to give up? Because 
when you talk about protests and stuff like that, I feel like, yeah, for a lot of people, I think are, are starting to feel that way. And I also think that that's probably, it's one of those things where it's like a necessary, you know, presence and whatever. Yes. But in the time that we live in, a lot of the types of protests that people do actually give them more yes. than they're giving the movement Precisely. because they get to feel like, they, like there's different forms of capital. You know what I'm saying? Like you get to feel really good about yourself. You get to post online where you were mm-hmm. and what you did. You And you have to be honest with yourself and have a candid conversation. Like, am I taking more from this experience than I'm giving under the guise of like that I'm protesting moving things forward? Because the answer is, Almost always, not to say you can't feel good or enjoy giving back or contributing, but if you are constantly taking more of an experience than you're contributing, yeah, then you're not you're not yeah. helping move things Who forward. Who are you really doing it for at that right. point? Yeah, you know? yeah. That's and, real. And how much are you really doing? Yeah. So so it's it's tough stuff to think about. And um They're real I, questions though, man. You yeah. know, and uh is this, this you know, I just there's no shame in you seeing somebody who helps in their own special way, you know, because yeah. also with social media, you see sometimes people are like, oh, why didn't so-and-so speak on this? Or why didn't so-and-so speak on that? You know, right. which, which certainly matters for certain figures to speak on certain things. But at the same time, everybody has their own way of contributing, man. Yeah. And what, and a lot of those times it's like, who would they have been doing that for? Yeah, and what would exactly. that have done? Like we have it goes to, right back to what we're saying. We have to move past this thing of like, we, we have to start looking at like what actually works and what are the changes that we hope to see yeah. and what, you know, it's just everything now is so rhetorical. It's all about like what somebody says yeah. or what somebody. So surface level. <laughs> oh, bro. And then, or it's like, yo, it's like, or like we demand an apology yeah. and it's just like, what is that going to like? <laughs> yeah, I get it. But we just we have finite amount of time. Left, yeah, bro. especially a forced apology. Yeah, we, pressured have, apology. we have a yeah. finite amount of time and energy and resources to try to put a dent in figuring some of this shit out yeah. before the fucking world blows up. Yeah. Real and, talk, and, and 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 motherfuckers want to waste time on shit that uh, is just. It's not not moving the needle either way. (laughs) Like, what are we even talking about? You know, like, and I, you know, so it'll be interesting to see too, even with me, I think about this all the time, like as my profile rises and, you know, I say things that may ruffle feathers or gain the support of some people or of Navas. I mean, even like with gang shit, you know, know, like, like people, um, I received overwhelmingly like positive response to that from people that I respected but it also kicked up a lot of shit like behind closed doors that people didn't get to see. And it wasn't just hate from like people like racist, crazy people that I knew, which would be the case or or I should say ignorant people. But, you know, like it, it like there are people that had like a problem with me making that video. Yeah. People who are intelligent people and are, are or consider themselves progressive or consider themselves or whatever. And, um, you know. Some of those times, those critiques were were well founded. Like they had some things to say. I obviously disagreed because I ultimately decided to make it. But you know, whatever. But a lot of those times, those critiques are based around. It's like, yo, bro. Like I felt like there's like misplaced uh, anger at things that we get frustrated with versus things that are like actively toxic. Yes, that we don't get frustrated with. And it's like we're talking about, you know, I. I 
I tried to wrestle with this thing and I put it out and it made people feel something either mm-hmm. way, move either the conversation way. forward, even if I was wrong, even if I was wrong to do that, which I don't think that I was, but even if I was wrong to make that and put that out in that way, like I thought that that was the best way I knew as an artist to move that conversation yes, forward. Yes, for sure. And I think you did it in a very responsible way. Thank you. And it, it wasn't, uh, uh, it wasn't in a way that was making things worse whatsoever. Yeah. You know, sometimes people, people put content out to, to stir shit up. Right. I don't think that was the intention there and didn't come off that way. Yeah, and it, it sparked a discussion and, I just thought it was well put together, man. Shout out to Thank Nathan you. R. Smith, right? Beast. I'm that's, that's actually homie, meeting man. with him in like an hour. Okay, about fire, the next about the next video. That's so fire, that's, man. that's that's he's he's, he's one of the best people I've met in the yeah, industry him, so and far. And John Tashiro too. Yeah, him and John yeah. Tashiro. John Tashiro has been killing it for yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, man. Wow. So uh, just to wrap up, man. Um, you have a new EP coming. Yeah. You want to get? I, I, you alluded to the title earlier in the podcast, but the people didn't catch it. But yeah. they'll catch it now. So but, it's um, called it's called How We Intended, mm-hmm. and it kind of is about that, uh, what we were talking about earlier. Like, me and Kenny were on tour. We were having this discussion where, you know, we were, like, staying in shitty hotels and doing long drives and, you know, ta- taking some L's. and But we were just talking about how it's all going to be worth it, and um, we're glad we didn't get those big looks that we thought we wanted a few yeah. years ago because when we get it, it's going to be, like, how we intended it to mm. be. And the irony is that, and this is actually ties into the conversation we were just having. Mm-hmm. The irony is that life don't care about your intentions in that the route you take to get where you're going. Like, I didn't even intend to be making an EP. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. Like, that wasn't or, the intention when creating these songs. But, and it's never going to look like how you intended it to look. Mm-hmm. But it's so important that you move with intent in the big picture. Of course. Because ultimately, when you arrive at your destination, it's going to be your intention matters. Yes. So at the same time, life both doesn't care about your intent mm-hmm. and cares tremendously. And I think uh, we need to think a little more deeply, just collectively in general, about what our intentions are. Of course. Um, how, when we move. You what know direction what you want to be heading in. Right. Yeah, right. truly. Dope, man. I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to that. I'm and, excited. Uh, I got I got fucking Plain Pat is on it. Mm-hmm. Um, Illmind's on it. Arbus, of course. Dope. A lot of musicians that, you know, I, I rock with. Dope. Um, uh, Six. Got mm-hmm. two joints on there. Fire. Um, I forget anybody. Coda's on it. Fire. Oh, um, man. The people are going to love this, bro. Yeah, it's sick. <laughs> and it, so it start, it's like kind of a balance of like, you know, I really want to fuck with how to bring what I do into this and move it forward so like you know like like even like the trap shit like if everyone like these drums that everyone likes and this feeling it's like all right well how can i put the musicality on top of yes. that and interweave it with that and kind of take the shit that i love and put it in a box where the the og cats that fuck with me because of the mm-hmm. nostalgia still fuck with it but the young kids still fuck with it and Word. feel it or people that want to turn up feel it yeah so it's kind of starting to experiment a little bit with that Good, man. That's important because that's how you're going to reach the most amount of people. Yeah. You know? Okay. Um, Three questions I've been asking the other guests, and you can run through these quickly if you like. Uh, Who are some creatives or just people in general right now that are inspiring you? Uh, Two or three. Some creatives. Uh, Or even anyone you're just, like, going to right now for content, you know? It could be authors, MCs. 
Yeah, J- um, Directors, James Baldwin. Dope. Reading some Baldwin lately, mm-hmm. and he's just like a goat, bro. Ultimate he's respect. Like one of yes. the illest motherfuckers that ever lived. Um, and I found out recently that my grandpa worked on him with an original. Uh, worked with him on an original production wow. of one of his plays. Wow. My grandma was telling me this shit, and she was like, "Yeah, Jimmy, like we used to." Run. <laughs> I was like, "What? <laughs> like, bro, that's yeah. what shit is in your blood more yeah. than you realize sometimes, mm-hmm. bro." Of course. And then, um. Who else? I mean, I, Jesse Reyes inspires me a lot, bro. Her yeah, live show. I know you're ridiculous. a big fan, man. <laughs> Her live show is ridiculous, and it's yeah. not it's just because she's like, oh, she's she's bad and whatever. Yeah, yeah. She is the illest. No, like, she's an inspiration. She's so yeah. ill. Her live yeah. show. We've seen a lot of shows, but yeah. like fucking her show is the craziest. Yeah. Um. Dope. And let me think. Let me let me. Who's? I'm not. I know I'm forgetting somebody. Because there's definitely. I was. I don't know. I'll think of it later. Yeah, 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 all good, man. Um, okay. What is uh, what is something that you do daily that you would consider like ceremonial? You know, something that you go to every day to kind of either restore some of your own spirit or just to give you some inspiration. Do you have like a daily activity you do? I try to meditate every day mm-hmm. for that purpose, but yeah. it does not work. Yeah. I always skip it or yeah. miss it. Well, a lot of people like, have a certain idea about meditation yeah. and they end up failing because of that. Yeah. But even just the attempt itself is, yeah. is beneficial. Yeah. I would say, I'll probably just say writing. Like every day I usually at least jot jot down mm-hmm. a couple lines or thought. Dope. Um, that's, and Dope. that's like, that's me. Sweet, man. All right. And lastly, what is uh, an area of your life right now that you're trying to master? I'm trying to master how to, um, trying to figure out how to, how to love better. And like most of my friends, um, because I just feel like I can be like a really critical person. And a lot of times, and I just love my friends, some of my friends so much. And I, I want, so much for them and I see how much they're capable of. And I feel like a lot of times in our culture, like there's so much apathy, there's so much uh, distraction, there's so much insecurity and fear. And like, I feel like sometimes I try to like balance that out. Yeah. I feel like, or I feel like I have to balance that out by all constantly pointing out criticisms or pointing out uh, or giving advice and I'm learning, I think, that that that's not always helpful, that the best ways to to teach or to empower people around you that you care about is by just, like, giving more unbiased love. Yeah. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to like, be a lot better with that. Wow. I couldn't agree more, man. I think uh, we all can work on mastering how to better love those closest to us. Yeah. And while also being honest. Yeah, you know, yeah. that's real, man. Wow, thank you, brother, for oh, coming thank on you, to the man. podcast, bro. Me, Much bro. appreciated. Oh, yeah. man. Thank you, you for uh, just all the support throughout the journey. You know, bro, I love you. I love your <laughs> shit, bro. Like for <laughs> thank real, there's, you, man. there's so many, there's so few uh, people like you in the shit, man. That just um, really just do this, everything that you do for the love, mm. and do it well, and and still do it professionally. Yeah. Um, Thank you, brother. That's a rare combination, bro. So, you know, you always got my support. That's love, man. You're welcome back anytime. Oh, yeah. You already. All All right, right, everyone. Peace.
Thank you all for taking the time to listen to this episode. If you enjoyed this show, please take another moment to subscribe, leave a review, and follow us on Instagram at The Masters of Ceremony. And for those interested in winning a free, limited edition vinyl of my hip-hop album, The Fifth Tape, please leave a review on the Masters of Ceremony iTunes page, or simply subscribe to our newsletter via fifthgod.com slash mastersofceremony. This project is something really special to me, and I'm really excited to give away one of these free, limited edition vinyls. Thank you guys for all your support, and see you next week. Peace.